And so let me begin with that fathers are needed. It is because they provide several things that are necessary for health, for well-being, and even for survival. There's a reason why the Bible talks so much, for example, about fatherlessness. The reference to the fatherless is in the Bible 40 times. All of those are uh, in the Old Testament. The New Testament uses the word orphan or orphans. The reason why God is concerned about the fatherless, about a child being raised without the benefit of having a father to oversee their upbringing. In the book of Deuteronomy, the Bible says that the Lord administers justice for the fatherless. In Psalms, it says, I delivered the fatherless and the one who had no helper. And again, the Lord is a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows. He receives the fatherless and the widow. So why is this? Why does God take this special care and make these very profound statements? It's because there's something missing, and God says, I am going to compensate for that. I am going to provide an antidote for that. There are people here. You can't imagine growing up without dad. It's not part of your life experience. You've had a father, whether you're a young man or a young woman. And if your father is a believer, a Christian, a godly father, perhaps you've been raised in the church. You can't fathom not having his presence in your life. On the other hand, there are those among us who can't imagine your experience. Never had a dad. They don't know what it's like to be embraced by a father, to be sat down by a father and spoken to and communicated with and be valued and appreciated. So we have those two extremes that are here today. Those extremes are also in the Bible, in the Word of God. Hence, the effort that God makes to care for and to help and to compensate and to provide an antidote for those who may be fatherless. The assault is very real today against the role of the father. The absence of a father is no longer viewed the way the Bible views it. It's something that has to be compensated for. And all of this is contributing to an entire culture that is being extremely, that is being made to be extremely vulnerable. So let's go to our text. We're going to get, I think, some fascinating insight. I had never uh, pondered this sermon, the character certainly, but not this uh, verse for a Father's Day sermon, but it's quite profound, and I hope that it helps you and inspires you today. It's Genesis 18. I'm also going to read one verse from Psalms 45, I don't need to turn there. 
Uh, it'll be up on the screens. Genesis 18. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely be a, become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And then our virtue of this altar call, you can contribute to advancing your will in the earth. And we thank you in Jesus' name. I want to talk about, first of all, the Father's needed role. And what I'm going to say here is not a ploy for sympathy. But I think it's something that should be said and should be appreciated. And that is that in some ways, men have it very hard. For one reason, any role of leadership, any role of headship, is a call to serious responsibility. The other reason that I say that we have it hard is because of the demonically inspired cultural assault against men, masculinity, and manhood today. There are people sitting here. You've been raised in this culture, and you have a natural default in your personality and character to mistrust men, to dislike men in general. Uh, and it could even be a further extreme to hate men. This has all been ginned up by, as I said, a demonically inspired cultural Assault because men provide so much that is necessary, and if the role can be diminished, what they contribute is going to be minimized. There are peculiar challenges that come from God that make our role very challenging. Husbands, Ephesians, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. I mean, is that even possible? Would wives here testify that that's their experience in their home from their husband? Would, would husbands claim that? Oh, yes. In all ways. I love my wife as Christ loved the church. This is an incredibly difficult challenge. In the book of Deuteronomy, it advances this kind of a sentiment and channels it toward children. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, meaning it's referring to fathers, 
Lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart. So you, you, you've got to do a lot of things internally, a lot of the challenges uh, that men face uh, uh, in being uh, husbands and fathers uh, begins with uh, guarding your heart, uh, internal challenges, uh, maintaining a spiritual uh, dimension to your life. And then it goes on to say, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. So you are to be as a father, you are to be an instructor. You are to be a teacher of spiritual things, of practical things, of integrity and love and forgiveness. You are to be one who imparts the virtue of God into the hearts of your children. And as I am stating this from this platform, all of us recognize how rare that is today. The common is fathers who don't love and are selfish and do abandon and betray and hurt and wound. Some of you here today are bearing scars of having been abused, whether emotionally or physically, by a father or a father figure, perhaps a stepfather in your life. And so it's very hard for you to reconcile what I'm saying here. God's love is a perfect love. His virtue is expressed in a perfect, righteous way. And this is the Father's challenge to try to ascend to a dimension and to try to transcend from our own natural instincts and inclination as normal uh, fault-filled people to try to ascend and transcend uh, to a dimension uh, where the presence and the power and the love of Christ can truly be imparted. It's also a call to very high accountability. Some of you here today, some of you men, some of you husbands and fathers, you have been blessed by so much. Your experience, as far as the culture is concerned and the world is concerned, is becoming more and more rare. You are in the minority to be married to your wife and to be in the home with your children and to be earning a living and having material blessings around you. If that is your testimony and the report of your life, you have been blessed with so much. I hope you realize that. I hope you appreciate that. Because you are marching toward a very high level of accountability. And the question is going to be asked of you by God himself. Son, what have you done with what I have given you? What have you done thus far with your life, with the precious souls that God has given you oversight of and the opportunity to impart godly heritage? What are you doing with what you have? And, of course, all of this is contrasted with a massive barrage of propaganda from culture, from media, from society, from the bad experiences of young men and women today. It is a barrage that says uh, fathers are not needed. 
And in many quarters, people's lives have become a world without dads. It describes our inner cities. Seventy percent of all African-American children are born out of wedlock and the fathers are not around. That's inner city. Fifty percent, close to fifty percent of all children today are born out of wedlock. Women are choosing to have children today, but they don't want a husband. The media portrayal of husbands, I think something like four percent of television shows and movies and programs, four uh, percent uh, portray the father uh, as someone loving and responsible. Uh, the other ninety-six percent, uh, he's a buffoon. He's an idiot. Uh, he's irresponsible. He can't be trusted. Uh, he can't be inv- uh, uh, depended upon. And add to this the curse uh, of renegade husbands uh, who have no intention of being faithful to. The woman who is the mother of their children, their wife, and no intention of being present to raise their children. Our text is a powerful statement, and I want you to grasp this along with me today. It's a record of what God thinks about fathers. It's a record of how much He depends on fathers' fulfilling their role. God has structured His creation in such a way so that fathers are essential if He is going to be able to accomplish His purpose on the earth. What an interesting statement. It's God talking to Himself, I guess. And He says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? This man Abraham, This father, that's how he's referred to, has a part in what God is doing on the earth. And God's connection with Abraham is not just connected to Abraham the man, but God is connected to Abraham the father. He's going to be the father of a son named Isaac. He's going to be the father of a physical seed, the Jewish people, and he's going to be the father of the spiritual seed, which is you and I sitting here this morning, the church of Jesus Christ. All of those are linked back to this man, Abraham, who is a father, and we have a picture here of God depending on Abraham, not just being a good man, but in fulfilling his role as a father, and if he can do that, then you and I will be sitting here today. Verse 19 says, For I know him, I the Lord know Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him. This is crucial. God knew that he could count on Abraham to fulfill his role as a godly father who would, in his home, prioritize the things of God, raise his children as a godly seed, and they, therefore, could become those who would work, uh, God would work through for the next generation. This is what I'm calling, for the purposes of this sermon, Father Power. 
In our other text, uh, instead of your fathers shall be your sons. In other words, what he's saying there is that eventually sons are going to replace the father. What the father did, what he achieved, what he accomplished in a spiritual and secular dimension, at some point that father is going to fade from the scene and then the son is going to rise up. The father is going to pass away and the son will continue. And the scripture prophesies, instead of your father shall be your sons, whom you, you fathers, are going to make princes in all the earth. That word prince means leader, ruler, chieftain, captain. This will be the result of fulfilling your role as a father. You're providing stability. You're providing a husband for someone and a father for children and a leader in his own right and a Christian example by virtue of you carrying out your role as a father and then you fade from the scene. Your son is going to continue what you began And the next generation will have provision of a godly man, a godly father that you have assigned, you have helped to create. And this is what God is saying about Abraham. I know that he's going to be faithful. He's going to be a good dad and a faithful father. And he's going to command his children. And he's going to fade from the scene. And his son Isaac is going to carry the torch for the next generation. So by virtue of... What we see here in the text, God has put tremendous importance into the role of a father. There's something very, very profound about the nature and character of God that flows through fathers. God counts on and depends on Fathers furthering his purpose on the earth, and this can't be minimized or treated carelessly. God carries the name Father. He's the first Father. And those attributes, he also has attributes that he put into the heart of women who become wives and mothers. But since this is Father's Day, we're emphasizing the Father's role. God carries the name Father, not just as a gender reference, but a role that God fulfills through the Father for the advance of His purpose. Listen to Ephesians in light of this. Verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom... The whole family in heaven and earth is named. So there's more there uh, than I can parse uh, uh, in these few moments. Uh, But the Bible says there's fatherhood in heaven. This dimension of fatherhood uh, expresses itself in an eternal uh, and a heavenly dimension. Uh, There's fatherhood in heaven. Uh, There is fatherhood then that translates from heaven uh, to earth uh, and carries the imprint uh, of God himself. Uh, Think about Abraham's generation. Abraham's uh, generation was virtually godless. They were a pagan, idol-worshipping, immoral, violent Unclean people. And so God's answer for the wickedness 
is that he called a father. He called a dad. Someone who would stay married to his wife for a lifetime, be faithful to her, and raise offspring. He called a father who was going to be a father, not just for his physical offspring and for the nation that was to come, but also he was going to be a father of a spiritual seed, as I said, who are you and I. And it was through the stability and the faithfulness of a godly father that God was going to bring order to this culture that was out of control with sin. He was going to deposit a man who would be a husband and a father in the midst of it. And through that one individual, he was going to be able to proliferate stability and heritage and destiny in the earth. We see this phrase in our text, he will command his children. If you have a little child and they go to school, and the teacher asks your student, Why did you wear that, or why did you bring this, or why did you do that? And the child responded by saying, well, well, my father commanded me. Alarm bells probably would go off with that teacher. Because this, in our current culture, this sounds uh, uh, a little bit harsh, a little bit judgmental. It's not really co- co- politically correct to, to say, oh, yeah, I do what I do because my dad commands me. You know, you hear this uh, mush, this uh, misguided, idiotic parenting uh, uh, philosophy. Uh, well, I just want my children to be raised uh, and they'll make all their decisions for themselves. Uh, that is idiotic parenting. You make decisions for them, at least in the formative years. You provide guidance for them. You lead them in the way that they should go. The text that I read from uh, earlier, I'll get to in a minute. Uh, But that word, that phrase rather, he will command his children, that means to set in order. To give charge to someone, to command as a divine act. So the father stands as God's representative in the home. Father power is visible in the home. It's an expression of godly authority, and it provides direction. It provides love in the formative years of a child's life. It provides a testimony and a witness of God's nature and character. And, of course, we have to say, and I've preached on this numerous times over the last many years, Father power can have a very negative expression. And some here have, that's your testimony. And every father here had better take heed. Because this has to be one of the most frightening warnings in all the Bible. In the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verse 7, keeping mercy for thousands... Forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity, the sin, the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Just as Abraham was going to affect the world for generations to come by doing right, the opposite happens. 
by sin, by your rebellion, by your idolatry, by your immorality. You are setting things in motion that your passing away is not going to compensate for. That scripture that says that instead of the fathers will be the children and they're going to become the princes. Well, that's when everything is in order as it should be. But if the father is bound in sin, if he is violent or perverted or abusive, he's not going to raise princes. He's going to raise children that during their adult years are going to be tormented and they're going to continue the damage that their fathers did to them on those around them unless they get saved, and unless that curse is broken in their lives. Let me talk about the father's needed connection. There's a fascinating contrast, and I thought about this um, as I was pondering this sermon. I thought about the contrast between Abraham and his nephew Lot. Lot was the son of Abraham's brother, nephew. Lot left his homeland and went with Abraham to the promised land. And they were there together, living together, existing together. They had separate properties and uh, uh, servants and herdsmen and such things. But they provide for us a very interesting contrast to ponder and consider for a moment. Fathers set the pace. Your conduct in the home and the decisions that you make have profound consequences. Abraham's conduct and his fathering commended him to God. And God said, I trust this man. I trust to take my heritage and put it under his oversight. Because as a father... He's going to command his children, and the odds are they're going to grow up and serve God. Lot contrasts this. Lot made selfish decisions. Lot made made foolish choices. He led his family to the degenerate city of Sodom. Lot chose sinful indulgence. Lot chose recreation and pleasure. That's what the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah represent. They are the world. And when Lot has a choice to make, he chooses that. He leads his wife and he leads his children into Sodom. And he easily got them there. You can easily lead your children anywhere you want to lead them. But once they got there, once his children got a taste of Sodom, he couldn't get them out. Sodom is the world without God. Sodom is sinful pleasure, spiritual compromise, satisfying sinful appetites and enticements. You make these the center of life in your home. But the day is going to come when you may have an epiphany, Dad. You want to get back to spiritual priorities. You want to turn to God. You want to get serious about discipleship and about your calling. The problem is your family now won't follow you. Once you get your kids into Sodom, it's very difficult to get them out. And we know that when 
uh, Lot and his wife left Sodom, uh, uh, they only left with their daughters, not their sons-in-law. Their sons-in-law stayed. A father sets the pace, and you're going to be held accountable and responsible for the pace that you set. Did you prioritize the things of God? Did your children learn about faithfulness and spiritual authority? Did they learn about reverence, commitment, ministry, serving, prayer? Did they learn that the house of God is a priority of life above every other priority? Now, there are, I entitled this point, The Father's Needed Connection. And I have three connections that you need to make. First priority are the things of God. You are showing them what it means to serve God. I'm reading a book right now, and I recommend every father of daughters to read it. I was reading some of it to my wife on our way to Tucson, and it's called uh, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. And it talks about this fascinating dimension between fathers and daughters, this incredible relationship. There's also another book called uh, 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 Strong Mothers and Strong Sons. So there's dynamics there as well. Uh, But in this book, it makes some profound statements that little girls, as they grow up, their first, the first man in their life is their dad. The first love in their life is their father. And he has a profound Position, what he says, how he acts, how he behaves, literally uh, your lives, your worldview, your opinions uh, are being shaped uh, because this man has been so influential uh, and he's the first man, the first that embraced and hugged and cared and loved, uh, the first one who satisfied uh, uh, the longing for affection uh, uh, from a man that you have in your life. Uh, And so he becomes so vital and so important. That little girl uh, needs to see her dad connected with God. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and without saying a word. By virtue, the Father treats His children, interacts with them, how He loves them and disciplines them, gives them their revelation of God. If a father is always and only critical, always and only harsh, very stern disciplinarian only, They see God first and foremost as judgmental, never able to please Him, never able to fulfill God's expectations. If a father is distant, if a father never embraces, if a father neglects, then a child concludes that God is always distant and He'll never actually be there in presence for them. However, if a father is consistent, And loving and faithful and dependable and attentive, they see God as one who is that. All those things available and loving and caring. Secondly, you need to make a connection with family. This speaks about a dad who is involved. And there's two things to say here because we need balance. There is a very sad testimony of fathers, men who have been raised, and they've had a deficient 
father experience themselves. And so, as they grow up, they've never learned how to be a father. They marry, they have children, and they don't know how to act. And then they're 30, uh, they're in their late 30s, both of them. They're over 35. I'll have to check with Renee to get the exact, (laughs) somewhere around there. But here they are. They're on. They're married. They're in ministry. They're pastoring churches with their husbands. They're functioning in life. And yet this emotional connection that I have with them is not the same as the one they have with their husbands. Not the same as the one they have with their children. It's totally separate and different. And they're dependent on that to this day. Without a strong connection with their father, and this is a quote out of that book, without a strong connection with their father, daughters are more likely to turn to sources outside the home for the love that they crave. One of the interesting things, I read this a while ago, and I think I've used it in a sermon before, but it's a fascinating dimension to me. That when a girl is raised by her biological father, that man is in the home, interacts with, is connected with his daughter, she goes through puberty later than if that wasn't the case. In other words, the presence of the father contributes to this girl maintaining her innocence longer. She won't be a 12-year-old that looks like a 21-year-old. It's physiological. You can Google it yourself. It's physiological. It is emotional uh, that the father's physical presence uh, and his connection with that girl uh, preserves her innocence longer, which is a good thing, of course. Now, when I talk about making a connection with your children, I'm not talking about recreation and sports and activities, or being a helicopter parent. It's a connection with your children whereby the greatest consequence of that connection is that you are leading them in the right direction. I see a lot of fathers compromise their spiritual requirements and responsibilities because of the children. Parents who do everything for their children but serve God. Sundays is just a day of recreation with the kids. Football and four-wheeling and uh, video gaming and all the recreations. Nothing wrong, nothing evil with any of them. But that becomes the priority of life. Listen, you may be recreating with, uh, but the connection that I'm talking about uh, has emotional, uh, it's a physical connection also, uh, but it has spiritual uh, overtones. Uh, As you are following Christ, uh, as you are prioritizing the things of God, uh, your children are coming along underneath that. And then the third connection is the connection with the church. Watching, your children watching how you apply yourself to the church of Jesus Christ, how you interact with, the level to which you are committed, the level to which you serve, the level of authority they see you under as it relates to the local church. 
is going to go a long way to your children forming their attitudes about God. If the church isn't that important, if it can be discarded at a moment's notice, uh, if Sundays are not absolutely uh, the Lord's day, it can also be used uh, uh, for other things. Uh, they're watching. Uh, they're seeing uh, that you're not a man under God's authority. Uh, I'm here today. Uh, I honor the Lord's day uh, as a man who is under the authority of God, uh, who is fulfilling my divine responsibility. Uh, my children could tell you uh, that there was not a single Sunday where we missed church, uh, weren't in the place. And we raise them all of their formative years. There were never days off if it was a Sunday. Sunday's the Lord's Day. God owns Sunday. They watched. My wife and I observe that. We're under the authority. We're under God's authority. They're watching us function in that context. And this went a long way to forming how they view the church, how they view ministry, how they view authority. And they come up underneath at it, and it increases the likelihood that they're going to serve God the same way we did, because if you serve God with compromise, your kids may very well not serve God at all. So let me talk about the Father's needed gifts. As a father, you are a giver, aren't you? You want to give your children. You want to give to them. Unfortunately, most fathers today, I'm not talking about you all, but fathers today think of that in terms of material things. And you think somehow that is an act of love or that shows them how much of a priority they are to you and all of that sort of thing. I'm not talking about that. You have something to offer your children that is far deeper, more profound, and goes way beyond the material. But there's no guarantee that the gifts that you should be giving to your children are going to be given to them. No guarantee of that. You may not figure it out what you need to be giving them. You may not be a good giver in that regard. You give your children home and house and school and education and clothing and all sorts of other things born of your love and your care for them. Nothing wrong with all of that stuff. But listen, there's a whole other dimension to gift giving that fathers need to be very cognizant of and aware of. What are you giving your children? That's a great question to ask. Matthew says in verse 9 of chapter 7, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Listen, every father makes mistakes bad calls, we fall short, we have flaws, we're far from perfect. But even despite all of that, we know how to give to our children. That's what we live for. But the question is, have you tapped into the right type of gifts that are going to give them the best advantage in their life? And when you pass from the scene and they have to continue on in their life, are they going to be the princes of the next generation? So I want to talk about four gifts. The first is a father's prayer. 
I think this is one of the best gifts. And this is the context in which I mean it. I don't mean praying for your children. I mean your children watching their father conduct a faithful, committed prayer life and hearing him pray. Do your children know what your prayer life sounds like? Is it familiar to them? Do they know what your tongues, when you speak in tongues, do they know what that sounds like? Are they familiar with it? You know, little side note here, it's a lot to demonstrate that. And, you, and your children learn. They're watching. Just like the disciples. Jesus, he'd go off to pray, go off to pray. Finally, they said, what, what is this business of your prayer life? Help us, teach us. When your children are able to see the demonstration of a prayer life, this is a gift you're giving them. They're not going to get that out of a book. They're not, it's not going to be underneath the Christmas tree in a nice bow and wrapping paper. It's going to be a gift that you provide for them. I am praying so that my children can observe. And over the days, months, weeks, years, and decades, as they observe my prayer life, I have given them a gift that is invaluable, that when I'm gone, it's going to keep on giving. It's going to be a reference point for their lives. Are you giving them the gift of your prayer life? The second gift is a father's presence and a father's faithfulness. Steadfast in love, steadfast in presence. And the best way to describe this gift, the gift you are giving to your children, is their ability to observe your loyalty and your faithfulness to covenant. You said you're going to serve God, and you serve God. You said, till death do us part, and you love our mother. You take care of our mom. You care for her. They watch that. The gift that you give to your children is how to be loyal to covenant, even when it's hard, even when life brings challenges. What is it that brought the prodigal son home? It was a father who the son knew keeps covenant. He's going to be there. He's not going to have packed up and moved somewhere else. Here, there, everywhere, married to my mom for a while, then off with somebody else. This son had no doubt that his father was a covenant-keeping father, and he had no doubt that when he walked up the road and then the driveway to his home, that his father was going to be there. This gift is so simple, but it's so very costly. Be there. Be present. Be faithful. Do whatever it takes. They're going to remember that when you said you were going to do something, you did it. You served God all through their formative years. Stayed faithful to the church. Involved yourself in ministry. Fulfilled calling. You loved our mother. You fulfilled your vows to her. They need to see you doing that. They need that gift from you. 
The third gift is the father of passion, your, your, your greatest expression of zeal. The thing that animates you the most is serving God and doing His will. This is what Jesus said, I do always those things that, that please the Father. In, him, in him I delight. In Him I find my pleasure. In obedience, that is what my passion is. I know that I know that I know that I'm in the place that God has called me to be and I'm doing the will of God. That is what animates me more than anything else. Uh, listen, uh, there's no replacement for this gift. Uh, when you offer your sons and your daughters that gift, uh, you are profoundly affecting and impacting their lives. And fourthly, the fourth gift is a father's purpose. Devoted and dedicated to one thing above all else. Joshua got the children of Israel together one day and said, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Choose yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a collective term. All together, we're serving God. I so appreciate uh, the fathers that are here today uh, that you've led your kids uh, to church uh, on Father's Day. Uh, amen. You could have made excuse and said, well, uh, let's go recreate. Let's go do here and there. No, you've demonstrated a, a profound example. Uh, a father's purpose uh, is to lead his family uh, in the will of God, uh, doing the will of God, uh, and to serve notice uh, that there are no other options uh, if Sunday being the Lord's day, there is no other option but being in the house of God. That is the only option. And you have no idea the benefit and the gift and the advantage that you're giving your children when you offer them that gift. So you see, fathers are needed today. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? And, of course, that's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord. God needs dads. God needs fathers in order to advance his will. You are that man. There are young men, maybe not so young men, that are maybe not married or maybe don't have children yet. This is the profound dimension that God is looking for, especially in the midst of this perverse, sinful, and perverted generation. Let's bow our heads this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Conviction is a good thing. I wanted to use the time today to encourage fathers, but also to present truth that can bring some conviction. Every Father's Day, I ask myself, have I been and am I the father that I need to be? Are there shortcomings or flaws? Are there things that I need to adjust and correct? If someone was to take a critique, I know I'm not perfect. I wonder what the criticisms would be. I want to know them. I hope I can discern them and become a better father, even though, as I said, my children are all in their 30s and 40s, actually. 
So that's what the altar is for today. The altar is a place to meet with God. God help us. I want to be the man and the father that you've called me to be. If you're a wife, you pray for your husband and the father of your children. Support him. Bless him. If you're a single man or woman, pray for husbands and wives here. Pray for our single mothers and perhaps single fathers that may be here. And prepare yourself as a single man or woman. God, I do want to enter into marriage. I do want to day, one day be a mother and be a father. I want to be able to march together with my spouse in the will of God. These opportunities present you with a challenge to prepare yourself for marriage. Get yourself ready. Maybe there's dysfunction and abuse. If you were a father now, you're not ready. Too many woundings. Too many hurts. Too much abuse. There are people here that you hate your dad. You've got to let go of that and forgive him in order to move on in your life and in order for God to help you. And perhaps the altar will be for that purpose as well. And I want healing, and I want the fatherless to know. You may not have an earthly dad, but you've got a spiritual one. You've got a church. You've got a pastor. You've got leaders. You've got the ministry here. God compensates. God's aware. first appeal that I have today, you may be here and you're not saved, you're not a Christian, you're not right with God. This would be a great service to repent of your sin and get your heart right with God and serve Jesus. And maybe that describes you today. Maybe not much necessarily of what I preach in terms of fatherhood is where you're at in life, but where you are at is that you're a sinner and you're not saved and you haven't been and you're not right with God and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Perhaps that describes you as a man or a woman and what you need to do is repent and get your heart right with God. And if that is you, I want to help you. I want to pray for you. I want to, I want to believe that God can change your life, forgive your sin, and you can leave brand new this morning. And if that's you, I want you to do one simple thing. I need you just to lift your hand up. Lift it up. Lift your hand right up and put it right back down in Jesus' name. I want to pray. I want to repent. I want to get my heart right with God. I know that I need Jesus. Lift your hand up so that I can see it and I will pray for you in Jesus' name. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you're a backslidden father and husband. It's so troubling sometimes to be able to preach a clear message and have the ones that need it the most be unresponsive. I'm not serving God the way I should be. I'm not being the husband and the father that I need to be, and I'm going to repent today. I want to get right. I want to turn a corner in my life. If that describes you, lift your hand. Maybe the hardest hand lifting you've ever done. Your arm may feel like it weighs 450 pounds, but get it up. Pastor, I need Jesus. I want to repent today. I want to get my heart right with God. In the name of Jesus. All right. Fathers are needed. I can't repeat the whole sermon. But God made an imprint 
I need fathers and husbands to respond to the altar call. I need wives to come. And maybe you're here as a single mother, young person. You have some woundings that need healing. We're going to pray for that this morning. From some abuse and some hurt of family and fathers and betrayals and abuse. This altar is a place for healing. A lot of things happening at any given altar call and God's dealing with you. Let's all stand. We're going to sing, worship God, and as we do so, I want you to come and find a place to pray. Let's talk to God about the need of our hearts in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you. I praise you. I love you. I glorify you. I worship you. I exalt you above all else. You, O God, are worthy to be praised. You're worthy to be exalted. You're worthy to be glorified. For your name is above, high above every name. God, you touch fathers that are here today. Challenge their hearts. Oh, God, breathe life and revival and passion and zeal and fire in the heart of every man here. Oh, God, you're worthy to be praised. You're worthy to be glorified. You're worthy to be exalted. Oh, God, I thank you, I praise you, I love you, I need you, I exalt you, I glorify you, I worship you, O Lord. I want us all to stand here today, and I want to close this service in two ways. First of all, I want every head bowed and every eye closed. This is very personal, very private, very painful. I do not want anyone looking around. Please close your eyes. I won't proceed unless I see that every head is bowed and every eye is closed right now. There are men and women here, and you don't have to be young. You don't have to be a teenager. You could be in your 60s and have father issues. The hurts and the wounds can last a lifetime of a father who is absent, of a father who abused, of a father who was emotionally detached from you. And it affects our personality, our character. It will affect our marriages. It affects so much in life. And what you need is healing. God, I need to forgive my dad, and I need healing from the woundings and the residue and the scar tissue go on in newness of life. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If that describes you, I just want you to lift your hand and acknowledge that. You're going to watch how much things change when you deal with this issue in your life. Pray with me, dear God in heaven. I thank you for the power 
that is in the blood of Jesus. I forgive my Father, and I'm letting go right now of all my hatred and resentment and all of my bitterness and anger. I am letting it go, and I repent for indulging it, Lord. I pray that you would give me a love for my Father. Help me to forgive Him. And I thank you, Lord, for healing every wound, every emotional and spiritual scar in my life as a result. And, Lord, I thank you for healing in the name of Jesus. Let's give God praise right now. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Every head still bowed and every eye closed. As I was preaching that sermon, you never know how a sermon is going to preach when you preach it for the first time. The thing that struck me the most, and it may not be this way with you, but the thing that struck me the most as I was preaching the sermon, uh, perhaps it struck me because of my own life experience And because of the level of conviction that I felt as I was preaching it, are the gifts that you're giving to your children. It's not too late to start, even if they're not in the home anymore. And they're not there waking up in the morning to serve. You can begin now. It's never too late. If they are in the home, certainly it's not. What are you giving? We prioritize the material so foolishly. And, and parents who can't give their children material things feel guilty. That is nonsense. The happiest, most emotionally, spiritually stable kids sometimes are the ones that didn't have access to all the material goods, but they had access to a man and a woman of God in the home. father's prayer, a father's gift of keeping covenant, a father's pleasure, and a father's purpose. Start getting a box and start putting these presents in the box and start giving it to your children regularly. There's no replacement for the gift of your children hearing their father pray. Something, something very profound about that. The visible keeping covenant that you express in your life, the pleasure and delight that you find in Christ. You know, a lot of children do what their fathers did because of that. A lot of kids will play baseball if their father was a baseball player. They'll race cars. They'll, they'll go into business. Whatever their father, whatever they were able to see their father be passionate about, there's something contagious about that. And the kids want to do what the fathers did. And if the Father's pleasure is Christ, that's a huge advantage. I want you fathers to pray with me right now. Dear God in heaven, I thank you right now for the opportunity that you have given me to represent you in my family and in this world. 
And Lord, I recognize that I haven't been perfect. I haven't been always true to my calling as a godly man, husband, and father. But things are going to change from this day forward. And I want to go on record before God, before my children, before my wife, and before all of my brethren. Things are going to change. I'm coming under godly authority once and for all. And I'm going to provide the leadership and the guidance and the love, the exampleship, and the testimony that my family needs, that my sons and daughters and my wife desperately needs. I'm going to be a man of God. I'm going to be an Abraham in my home. And I seal this before you, Lord. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, God, I thank you. I praise you. I love you. Let's sing that song one more time. You can go back to your seats. Let's just sing to the Lord. Maintain a spirit of worship for a moment before we dismiss. Sing it to Him with all your heart. Oh, thank God. Lift your hands. Sing it to Jesus. Father, I thank you, and I praise you, and I love you, and exalt you, and glorify you, and worship you, Lord. Oh, God, we praise your holy name. Thank you, Father. We're going to dismiss. I want you to go rejoicing, give deep meditation, consideration, and prayer to what I ministered this morning. And then for more, come tonight, if you can handle it. No, it'll be helpful tonight. So come tonight. The Beast Within is the title of the sermon. I'll be preaching it at 630. Bring someone that needs Jesus. Fathers, you lead your families back into the house of God tonight. And we're going to believe the Lord for great things. I'm going to ask Miguel to pray. Thank the Lord for speaking to our hearts today. Thank you.